Good morning or good evening or good afternoon all. It's good morning here. It's Saturday morning. Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders going to kick this one off with a bit of an update on my bioactive enclosure experiment, we'll call it, but it's it's going to go beyond an experiment. I'm absolutely loving the bioactives. I've been buying a lot more stuff lately, but I did have my second casualty. Now, when I started this one out, one of the things that has kept me from bioactives is that I've always considered myself to be somebody with a black thumb. I've not had particularly great success in keeping plants alive in the past. Um, Billy will admit she's about the same way. She started a garden a couple of years ago, and we joke about the fact that after all the planting, everything she did, she grew up all the seeds. She put them in the garden out back, and I think we ended up with two tomatoes out of the entire thing. It's kind of been a running joke, and if she hears this, she'll probably kill me, but... Anyway, I, I've always been concerned with the fact that I've been very good with animals, but that ability, whatever it is, didn't seem to cross over into plants. So that was one of the things that kept me from the bioactives for quite some time. I'm like, I have enough going on to worry about make, making sure the tarantulas are set up correctly without having to throw in and complicate things with trying to keep plants upright. Because my thought process is when you get into the bioactive enclosures, the bioactive, whatever you're setting up, should complement the spider. And that takes, obviously, some research, some, you know, some planning ahead of time to make sure that you're putting plants in there that are going to go with the type of biome you're trying to create for the tarantula. So, for example, if you have a plant that needs constant watering and you're trying to put it in with a species that really doesn't need, you know, extra moisture in it, that could be an issue. So I, I stayed away from, obviously, for quite some time. Now that I'm into them, I'm loving it. And I'm enjoying the process of learning about the plants. Now, it's a little daunting. It's reminded me when I first got into tarantulas where you have to really recognize, you know, they can't all be kept the same way. They all have different care requirements. And with the plants, there are different tricks as far as how to plant them and drainage layers. And some of the plants, you have to water and basically flood them and then let them dry out in between. Other ones, you want to let dry out a little bit. And then if you don't add water in the right spot, they get root rot. And I'm learning all these new things, which it's kind of a dual-edged sword because in one respect, I love learning new things and it's fun. But in another respect, I now feel like I'm a newbie at this part of the hobby because I'm, I'm screwing up here and there. So anyway, back to my original point. We originally lost one plant. Now we're up to two. The first one, I it was a Fitonia that I put in there that I do believe it, it got shipped to me. And unfortunately, the day it shipped... It was the coldest night we had had. They changed the weather last second, so it was supposed to be above freezing, and the weather dropped. I think it was like 20 degrees or something, so I have a funny feeling that might have been part of it because when I got it out of the box, it didn't look particularly great, and then it quickly died off, and I tried to plant it, hope it would come back, and it didn't. It was completely crispy, so that one's gone, and recently... I lost another one, which was the beautiful croton plant or croton plant that I had included with my Ophilopinus. It was doing great. Everything, the spider plant in the enclosure was growing well. The croton was growing well. Croton was growing well. And then little by little, it started to drop a couple leaves and couldn't quite figure out where I had gone wrong with it because I thought I was doing a good job. It had been a couple months now since I got it. It seemed to be doing really well and then just took a turn quickly. I came in one morning, noticed the leaves were drooping just a little bit, so I watered it, you know, not overwatered it. The water seemed to filter down through, so it was a little bit, you know, drier up top, moister on the bottom. It perked back up. It was looking great. I was getting some new leaf growth. Then it took a turn where it lost a couple leaves. I was like, okay, no big deal. That's normal. Then it lost a few more leaves. Then one morning I came in and one whole stalk had lost every single leaf on it, and then I knew I was in trouble. So I looked up, you know, to make sure my, I thought my care was right. They said, don't overwater it, but it needs misting. I, I had been misting it. That's in the old Philippinus cage. So I missed it every couple of days or so. 
water level, if you look at the substrate, it looked like it had water in it. One of the things they mentioned was temperature changes, that drafts or anything, you know, cold drafts could cause leaves to drop off. None of that. And so then I kind of went into panic mode. wasn't sure what to do. So I continued to mist every couple of days, kept the, kept it watered, and now there's literally two dead stalks in there and a bunch of leaves. So I'm going to have to pull that one out. I'm going to – was talking to Billy about the fact we're going to devise a way to keep the Ophilipinus in the enclosure while I dig this one out and replace the plant with something else. But if anybody has any ideas as to why this might have died or what I might have done wrong, I am all ears. Again, this is brand new to me. I'm, I'm looking... I feel like back in the day when I used to look up things for tarantulas and you'd go on the, you know, tarantula forums and you hear different people talk about them and you try to put together, all right, this is the situation that this sounds like my situation here. This must be what it is. But then you read something that says something entirely different. You end up confused. And that's kind of where I'm at with the plants now where I'm looking at a lot of basic information. It seems all kind of go together and, and jibe with each other. But then every once in a while you read something that says, all right, you got to make sure you flood them when you water them. And you read something else and it says, no, no, you don't flood them. You just water them a little bit every day. So anybody who's had experience with them, I'm really bummed about this one because it was one of my favorite plants in there. And I don't want to go on continue killing plants. I will say knock on wood so far out of the other enclosures I planted, the rest of the plants seem to be doing wonderfully. Uh, the Wandering Jew has become one of my favorites because it seems like I can't kill it. We have the pothos, uh, the golden pothos, and a couple of them. One of them I already have to trim. I Basically having a great time with these. It's become like a little offshoot of the hobby, and Billy and I are already talking about putting plants around the house and stuff. And Basically what I've been doing now is trying to be a little more careful when I get the plants in. I plant them in the substrate, give them pots, and let them take root really well make sure they're nice and healthy before I put them in the enclosures. This is one thing I kind of screwed up with early on is I got the plants in. I was excited to do these videos and I just basically took the plants right out of their packaging, dumped them right in the enclosure, dumped the spider right in with them. And that's not how you're supposed to do it. So right now I have several plants that are planted in enclosures and they're just sitting there. Some I'm giving them a month or so to kind of acclimate before we decide what to put in it. I have a bunch of plants on my dinner table, which Lucky Billy's <laughs> let me keep there because they're kind of taking up some spot. But we have a good spot on our table where the sun comes in in the morning and hits that place. So, and we have a gauzy-like curtain over it. So for the ones that can't have direct sunlight, it kind of filters it. But the ones on the table have been doing really well. I think I have some Wandering Jews, some Pothos, um, Peperomia. I did have... I bought a peperomia and when I went to wash the roots off and get the dirt off the roots realized there were like four different plants there so I broke them into two different plants well one of the plants that had two different one of one of the groups of plants that I used that had two different plants and so it was two totally different stalks with root systems I planted in a closure and one of those died but one of them's doing really really well so Peperomia is one that I love the looks of them. Supposedly they're easy, but I've had iffy, a little bit worried about the couple of the peperomias I got there. So again, this is, I'm loving it overall. I'm not going to stop doing it. This will be fun because I can report as I learn. And I thank everybody who's been chiming in with help and information on the plants part because this is totally new to me. And we're going to continue going ahead with them. Just want to keep people updated that so far, so good. Only two deaths, which I'm still feeling bad about. Like, they're gorgeous plants. I just ordered a bunch more from Any Herb. And my goal is over the summer to really get going with putting together a lot of these enclosures. I've got so many ideas for them. I went on the Any Herb site and saw some of the builds they have for the arboreal enclosures. They have a 12 by 12 by 18. You can buy the full cork background and then basically screw 
the cork bark tubes to it to make little planters so that you have the vines that will grow out of it and festoon down to the bottom and just some gorgeous enclosures. So I, my Rufalata, one or two of my Rufaladas are going to end up in one of these enclosures. That's my big goal right now, do something really beautiful. But again, I think I kind of got to get a handle on the simpler ones first. So moving on, I want to talk a little bit about the GBB as a beginner species. I'm going to isolate this one. And again, with the beginner species stuff, I feel like I kind of created a monster because when my website really started taking off, it was after I did the beginner species list. And I did put a lot of work into this. I talked to a lot of people. I didn't just come up with, hey, these are Tom's favorite spiders. It, it was ones that I had kept. The, the get on the list it had to be a spider that I'd kept and had experience with. So early on, I was buying a lot of things just because I wanted to make sure I could try them out and talk about them. But also did a lot of work by going on different message boards, arachna boards, uh, tarantula, uh, I think it's tarantula forum, in an effort to see what everybody was recommending. I did not want this list to represent one person's idea. Now, granted, I was the one that eventually filtered it out and came up with the actual numbers, which are, I don't want to say they're arbitrary because I put a lot of thought into it, but they could switch in any given day. And it, there's no, when you're coming up with one of these lists, Basically, what you're going to look at is a group of spiders, a group of traits, and then decide which spiders fit in it. So you're looking for a spider that's hardy. You're looking for a spider that's not moisture dependent. You're generally looking for a spider that's attainable. You're looking for a spider that doesn't burrow because people that are new to the hobby generally aren't into. I get a lot of emails about my spider burrowed. What am I going to do? Why can't I see it? When's it going to come out? What? And there's nothing worse than telling somebody that's you know gotten a Fontapelma species that, yeah, this is probably what you're going to see for the next several years until it puts on a lot of size because they'll burrow. So anyway, when I put together these lists, I did the one on my website. We did the one on the videos, which I was really, that was something I was very proud of. And we spent a lot of time planning that one out, Billy and I, trying to get, you know, I planned on doing it like two years earlier, but I didn't have some of the species I wanted to talk about. So we picked up, it was Ecampistratus was one of the ones I was missing. So the idea was to not only just talk about the different beginner species, but to be able to show them off and show, yes, I have experience with them because it's one of the big issues I found when I was looking up information on tarantulas is a lot of people will keep one or two species, but regurgitate information. And I don't mean that to be a mean word, but it's, it's essentially they're taking somebody else's information and passing it off as your own. And I like to get it right from the source. So I wanted people to feel confident that in the very least, whether they agreed with my list, whether they didn't agree with the list, and I completely understand uh, that they know I keep these animals and I'm speaking from experience. It's always been the, the big goal. What I do is to not talk about things I don't know anything about. Sometimes I have people email me about tarantulas and like, hey, can you give me you know feedback on this? And I'm like, I sorry, I don't keep that species. And then they'll say like, all right, well, what do you think about it? How would you keep it? And then I will tell them, well, I went to this place, this place, this place, and this is what I'm reading about them. It's not my information. So we created that list. It it really it became one of the most popular articles on my website. It's I think if not the most popular, one of the top three most popular videos on my YouTube page. People seem to like it, but it is something that I feel like I kind of created a monster with because the more I get in the hobby, the more I realize that one person's beginner might not be another person's beginner. So although I think these lists are really important for people just getting into the hobby, it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. So for example, I have a keeper that contacted me two years ago. She jumped right in the deep end, picked up a couple OBT slings. She picked them up at a pet store on a whim, saw the pictures of them. They looked orange. They were beautiful. Had no idea about old worlds and the fact that these guys have a heck of a reputation. 
And one of the things we talked about is like, well, if you're, you're afraid of them now, you may want to think about, you know, giving them up, selling them to somebody else that, you know, has more experience with them or whatever. She's like, no, I think I'm going to go with it. Well, two years later, she's knee deep in the hobby. She has 50 species. She loves old world. She's never had an issue with her. So there's somebody that jumped in the deep end that, and we advise against this all the time, but was completely okay with it. And I think this really does, I've mentioned this in many other past podcasts and videos, I do think the prudent thing to do for somebody getting into the hobby for most people is to start with one of the species from these beginner lists. I do believe for most people that's the prudent thing to do. Start with something that's very that's more predictable, easier to take care of, learn your basic husbandry, and then branch off. However, are there people that jump right in that have kept animals before and other exotics? And again, they're not exactly the same. We talked about before how the snake hobby can basically, the herb hobby can lead you into tarantulas and there's some things you can take over from that that work great and there's some things that don't but it does prepare you for taking care of exotics it does many times prepare you to watch your fingers when you're working with an animal that can bite and i think some people can just naturally come right into the hobby jump in the deep end and do perfectly fine so we pretend sometimes i think that and we get on people and we yell at them because they jump in the deep end they grab something they're like you're gonna get bit you're gonna get the hobby banned that's not always true and it's not always a fair assessment. It really is up to the individual. So when doing the beginner list, originally it was only the beginner beginners, the ones that, you know, the Afana Palma, Brachypelma, uh, Grandma Stola species, the ones that most people are considered to be the beginners. This, But they're, again, they're the slower growing ones. They're the ones that if you find them, they're generally slings and they take forever to grow. So they have their downsides. I kept uh, Acanthoscuria geniculata off my original list because this is a larger spider. It's one that I've heard folks have uh, spiders that can be a bit more defensive. So now you have a larger, faster, more bold defensive spider in the hands of somebody who may have just seen a picture of somebody holding a rose hair and, well, look, if they're all gentle, you can pet it. Or who's that clown that has the hat, Jungle Bob or whatever his name is, flipping that poor Afana Pelma species around, diddling it the entire time. It it's not, I think people see those videos and they think all tarantulas are like that. So suddenly you get this Acanthoscuria geniculata, you go to put some water in the water dish, it freaks out, bites the water dish, and now you're terrified of it. And this does happen quite a bit. I just got an email from somebody who picked up, what was a Pyramenia, I think, and he's, or it might be a pulcher, poker, and he's deathly afraid of it, which it happens. So I do think that for most people, it's important to start with those beginner species, and that's why I, my original list only had those quote unquote beginner species. And I started to add to it. We added the Acanthoscuria geniculata because a lot of people chimed in on that video and said, this is my favorite beginner. This is the one I started with. So who the heck am I to tell people it's not a good beginner when a lot of people are saying, yeah, they pick one up and they love it. And it was a great one. It grew quick. It was, it moved, it looked cool. So totally understand. So we added that one in. That's I'm not bigger than the list. The list is supposed to reflect what actual keepers are saying and doing. So had to put that one aside, and I will say, I did have the hobby Brocklehursty, which is just a different version of the geniculata, and my guy was fantastically laid back. So, as far as I'm concerned, that could make a good beginner for somebody that's aware that it's a larger spider, that it could have a more aggressive feeding, or, uh, yeah, aggressive feeding, we can use aggressive there, feeding response. They can be a little bit, you know, nastier in disposition, but as long as they're aware of that, they could be fine. Then, one of the ones I also added, which is, it's this one's amazing. The C. pubicens or the, the GBB, this is one of the ones I, of all the ones I pronounce, always go and use the scientific names. This is the one that just GBB rolls right off the tongue. 
The GBB, I get more questions about the GBB as far as beginner species than any other species. I get more people messaging me or emailing me about the fact that they're a little afraid of their GBBs. It's unbelievable. This is one of the species I originally left off the list. Then I added it to when I expanded the list a little bit. I added it to the end of the list as kind of the next step beginner species. So these are your regular beginners. They're usually pretty laid back. They're going to be, you know, as adults, they're pretty much just going to sit there. And then the GBB comes in. But I think that's the one that attracts most people because they look at some of the other spiders on the list. And they're your typical earthy tone spiders, with the exception of some of the reds and oranges of the Brachypelma species. But I've heard people actually say they don't find those nearly as attractive as, get ready for it, the blue spiders. Everybody wants a blue spider. They're, they're still the most sought after, some of the blue species. They still command a high price, even though most of them are readily available on the market. It's just something about blue tarantula. And the GBB comes along, and it's got those blue legs, that metallic green carapace. A fiery color hairs on its abdomen and people are like wow this is amazing i was the same way that was immediately one of the spiders i wanted that was when i, when I bought my first two slings it was an elpera hibana and it was a gbb and absolutely enamored by the looks of these things these are one of the spiders that even when you first see them when people talk about tarantulas and they go oh they're just big brown spiders big brown hairy spiders why would you want to keep one of those you show them a picture of a gbb and they think it's photoshop they don't believe that spider actually exists and as they're one of the few blue New World species, or one of the more, we'll say one of the more prevalent blue New World species, a lot of people immediately see a blue spider that they feel like they can keep. And they do show up on a lot of beginner species lists. So I think they attract a lot of people that are like, you know what, that's the spider I want. However, what needs to be said about the GBBs is they're not the cute and cuddly, quote unquote, beginner species that most people think of because of the fact that they are quite fast, they are quite skittish. I know there'll be people out there that talk about their GBBs being complete sweethearts. Mine go through stages. It seems like every molt, every other molt, they change disposition. So for a while, mine would just sit on their webbing, look beautiful. They're amazing hunters. They're easy to grow. They're one of the few species that even the slings can be kept almost bone dry. You give them a water dish or sprinkle a little bit of water on their webbing, and they're completely fine. Very easy to keep and gorgeous, always out in the open. However, they can sometimes be very skittish. They bolt around. They're fast. Mine have become quite the hair kickers. Now, mine have gone through, again, gone through stages where they started off, they were very laid back, no problems. Even when I started showing their adult colors, then both of them molted. And with that molt, I couldn't touch the enclosure without them kicking hair. It was ridiculous. It was like, it didn't matter if the enclosure, a lot of my species, I have to open the enclosure. And I think what happens is they get the increased airflow, the air pressure changes. They have all those little hairs on that detect the change of air pressure and they tend to freak out. And that's when you'll sometimes get the skittishness, skittishness in hair kicking. With the GBBs, on the other hand, they seem to, at least mine for a while, you just picked up the enclosure to feed them and they were kicking away. And then you go to drop a food item in. They were kicking at the food item. They're running around the enclosure. This can intimidate people that are new to the hobby. So I get a lot of questions. And I just, what kind of brought this one on is I think the weather's warming up. People are buying things again. And I've been getting a lot of questions from people asking me. There were just three this week. Along the lines, hey, Tom, I read your beginner species list. I love the green bottle blues. I'm thinking about getting a sling. Do you think I'm ready for this? 
And I think that's good because it means people are paying attention, doing their homework, and realize these guys are a little more of a handful than some of the other species that we label beginner species. So I, I'm bringing this one up only because it'll be a good thing to – I'll be honest. I'm trying to save myself some workload because a lot of times when I get these emails, when I start getting – the same question asked over and over, I'll still answer it, but I can also go, oh, here's a podcast where I share my thoughts on it because this is going to be a lot more in-depth than the email I would send, so it makes it a little bit easier. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to take some work off my uh, plate a little bit, but I will say that one of the species I get more people contacting me about that they're afraid of is their GBBs. A lot of people will pick them up early on. They underestimate how quick they can be, and I will, I've gotten many emails over the years talking about how shocked they were at the speed. And again, when you start, for those of us who have worked with some of the you know, Peace Letharia, Salmopea species, Tapodokinius, we recognize that there are levels to this. There are levels to speed. When you take the speed of most Brachypelma, they consider, you know, they can still move. Don't get me wrong. I had an H. chalensis female even that, you know, you talk about slow moving they are. I accidentally breathed on one and she shot up my arm so quickly it was ridiculous. So we need to understand that speed is relative. As somebody that has never had a tarantula before, that is used to seeing pictures of the sedentary animal sitting there not moving, that suddenly watches it wheel and try to grab a cricket, that can be disturbing. That can be intimidating. So we talk about GBBs as far as the beginner species, one of the quicker ones and more likely to bolt and use their speed. And I think that's why you get people that get them, they get a little freaked out, they're not expecting it. And then they've got a spider on their hands that they're a little bit afraid of. So I do think for people that have not kept a tarantula before, yes, you need to be aware they are fast. Are they the fastest spiders out there? Not by a long shot. So that's something also to keep in mind. I've tried to explain to people before, they're like, oh, I kept the GBB and it's the fastest thing I've ever had. Would this prepare me for an old world? And the answer is yes and no. Some of the old worlds, yes, the speed is comparable. The skittishness can be comparable, but when you see a pokey get moving, when you see a tappy get moving, when you see a, a salmapia species get moving, it's like a different ballgame. Those things can boogie. Heck, even my uh, S. crassipes, some of the fastest spiders I've ever seen, terrestrial spiders moving, those things can move in a blink of an eye. So they're a good stepping stone, I think, to the baboon species, but for some people, I do think they can be overwhelming as their first spider. However, that's not to say that some people can't handle them, and I think one of the tricks is when you're looking at a spider you're not sure you can handle, always start with a sling. You get to grow with the spider. I think a lot of it, I know when I started with my OBT, it was a tiny little sling, and I'll admit it, I was very, very weary of it. It was almost like the, I was dealing with some type of, you know, lethal animal when I first got it. Like, we got to be extra careful with this thing. They're going to be nasty. I I grew up with it. It, it. I watched it go from a tiny little sling, start picking up those orange colors, did a couple rehousings with it, never had an issue with her. Now I kind of look back at it and laugh. But back then it was like, this was the, when we would take the OBT out to feed it. This was the one where the kids were like, oh, oh dad's feeding the OBT. It was like this big deal. Now it's like a joke. We take her out. We all watch her eat. She's amazing. She's gorgeous. But I think growing with her helps a lot. So I think that would be a tip I'd give people that if you feel like you're not quite ready yet, you know, or you're worried about it, you, you think you're ready, but you're a little worried and you're reading some things, you've seen some videos, start with a sling. There, there you go. You know, pick up a GBB sling. 
They're very easy to keep, you know, dry. A lot of them, if you get the, you know, three quarter inch ones, you can stick them in a, you know, usually a 32 ounce deli cup with a little extra substrate in it because they will web the snot out of it. The 16 ounce ones, before you know it, they'll have webbed all the way up to the, the top of the container. And what happens, and I think where a lot of people end up with these very skittish uh, green bottle blues is where they web the top up. So as soon as you go to pull the top off to do any maintenance, feeding, watering, whatever, they basically, you've ripped the top of their house off. So then they freak out. Then you get the hair kicking, then you get the running around and the skittish behavior. So I think the trick is to give them a little extra room when they're smaller. You know, you can keep them in a smaller enclosure when they're little teeny tiny slings, but once they put on a little bit of size, inch, inch and a quarter, get them into something 32 ounce size, stack up a little substrate. You don't necessarily need to keep them as an arboreal, but you do want to give them a deeper enclosure so that when they web, they have, you know, room to web and then give them some anchor points. You can give them a hide. They will probably not use it, but if you give them a bunch of fake plants, they are going to web the snot out of them and create their own, their own den basically out of webbing. I have the, my, one of my female GBBs that I rehouse into the bioactive, the 12 by 12 by 12 exoterra. It has the snake plant in it, and then it has the rabbit fern in it. I think it's rabbit's fern. Rabbit's fern? Rabbit's nest fern. Yeah, we'll go with that. And it's starting to web the snot out of that enclosure. Although I gave her a couple places where she could hide and set the enclosure up semi-aboreally, because these are guys that will... They do appreciate semi-arboreal setups. They will climb on stuff sometimes. Not a true arboreal setup, but give them some height and depth. But mine has now blanketed most of the enclosure with webbing. I'm going through and trying to cut a little bit away from the plants because I don't want them killing the plants. And again, this was probably not the best species to start with, but I did it on purpose because it was one of the kits sold by BioDude specifically for a GBB. So I'm like, all right, if we can do one with a GBB, I'm going to do one with a GBB and see how it goes. So far, the plants are doing quite well, even though there's a lot of webbing on the snake plant. It's still growing. It's, it seems to be doing well. It does still look pretty, but let's call it as it is. If this one continues to web the way it does, all of that will be blanketed in white before we know it, and you won't be able to even see the plant. So we'll see how it goes. But anyway, set them up as slings. Give them some extra room. That also protects you when they get a little... Just keep in mind, at some point, yours is probably going to kick hairs, and the hairs aren't particularly pleasant. So be wary of that, but that's why if you give them a deeper enclosure, A, when you pull the top off, you're not right on top of them. So that gives you a little room to work. When they start kicking the hairs, you can get safely out of the way and not get them on your hands or your face or whatever. That's something to keep in mind. You give them a little extra room for the webbing. You'll have a happier spider, much like the OBT, and I've talked about this before, if you give it extra depth in that enclosure and let it do some webbing and keep the webbing off of the lid. I recently had somebody that uh, bought a an adult female and they were complaining, well, not complaining, but they were a little worried because it was incredibly defensive and skittish and kicking hairs. Well, they basically, when they showed me the video, I said, hey, can you show me pictures? And I'm like, I'll send you a video of what she does. So the video entailed one of those sterilite, larger sterilite containers, plastic containers. It's maybe about six inches high, maybe by eight and a half by 11 or by 12 or so or 14. Decent size enclosure. But as soon as he started the video, he went to peel the top off. And I say peel because it was completely webbed up all the way to the top. The thing was almost webbed completely shut. So as soon as he opened it up, there was a spider. It's just had the top ripped off of its enclosure. And it started bolting around, almost bolted right out of the enclosure. He dropped the camera and had to put it back on. He's like, see, see what's going on? So I was like, all right, I think I know what part of the problem is. And again, they can be, uh, my girls were in enclosures where they had plenty of room and they were still a little bit skittish. But I will say, if you take them out and put them into something, you take one of those larger sterilite containers, 
containers with more depth, fill it up with a bit more dry substrate so it's not completely arboreal, but give them some room to web up the sides because they will go right up the sides of the enclosure. They create basically the whole enclosure, if you will, becomes like this big web hammock. And if it's too shallow, that web hammock extends right up to the top of the enclosure. And then when you pull it off, you get a scared spider. So I told him to do this and I was happy. He reported back a little, uh, a little while later and basically said that she seems to have calmed down quite a bit. She was webbing. She had webbed herself a little spot under some foliage. That was the other thing. He didn't have a lot of foliage in there. He put some fake plants in. She kind of made herself a den around the plant and she hadn't been running around. She basically, when he opens the enclosure, just kind of hunkered down behind that plant. So Problem solved. So something to think about with these guys. If you're one of those types that you're a little worried, you want to get one, you're a little worried, you've read things about them being skittish and kicky, and that is something you need to keep in mind. You can still get that regardless of what you put them in. Giving them the proper enclosure, giving them an enclosure with a semi-aboral setup will go a long way to helping, I think, to reduce some of that skittish behavior. Give them some room. And that the same can be said just to, to bounce off of this. For any of the potentially defensive or skittish species, it drives me nuts when I see YouTube videos of people with, you know, old world, usually fossorial old world species in these shallow little enclosures that they have webbed up to the whole enclosure is basically one web silk cocoon and they pull the top off and they go, oh my gosh, my spider's crazy. This thing's so defensive. It's so angry. Well, no, you didn't give it any room. I mean, that's, that's something that can pretty much be extended across the board to other species. Make sure you give your tarantulas enough room to feel secure. If they're webbing right up to the top of the enclosure, it's a problem. It's going to startle them every time you open that enclosure. It's going to kick in that defensiveness that you should be trying to avoid. Unless, of course, you just like opening up plastic bins of angry spiders to each their own. A good way to avoid that is give them some room. And I've heard people say, well, am I supposed to keep all my, my terrestrial species like arboreals? No, you can put in a little extra dirt to make sure that there's not a huge gap between the top and bottom, but you do want some extra space for them. I, again, one of the best piece of advice I ever got was from somebody who told me they kept their P. murinus, their OBTs, semi-aboreally. That was a huge help for me because I, I kept that in mind, and I remember I was a little skeptical at first because about this, back around this time, this is when everybody had their YouTube videos where they pull the top off these shallow enclosures because everybody was keeping them terrestrially, and the thing would go nuts. Nope, you put them in one of these, and I, I, I talked to a lot of people that have had no issues with their spiders because they have room. They will go at you. They will become defensive if they feel cornered, and they are a spider that people have recorded actually coming towards you. Like, they'll, they'll fight, but not if they have a place to go to, not if they feel secure. So... For those of you who are thinking about getting the GBB, my advice would be start with the slings. Get a sling. They're really, really rewarding to raise because the color changes they go through. I can remember the first time shining the flashlight in the enclosure and one of mine had molted and got some of that blue on the legs. I was so excited. The, even the slings are so unique looking that you've got a pretty spider regardless of the life stage it's in. So start with a sling. Get it in something. You know, if you've got a lot of the ones out there are like three and a uh, three quarters of an inch to an inch and a quarter. In that case, get in a 32 ounce deli cup, get a few inches of dry substrate in there, moisten a quarter if you want, but this is one of the slings that I've noticed. They're not particularly, they don't particularly like moist enclosures. I unfortunately just ran into a situation where somebody bought a GBB sling and kept it on moist substrate. The thing is now dead. Uh, back in the day when you used to research GBB, a lot of people would talk about the, in the husbandry that they needed it super moist and they needed uh, moist substrate and high humidity. And consequently, they're, they're tough to find now. It's been several years we've corrected this husbandry on the species. But back when I was first getting a hobby, I found several things talking about how you had to keep them moist and they were very finicky and difficult to keep. No, we were basically killing them in stuffy enclosures. 
exposure. So as I always just err, err on the side of caution, I would keep one corner moist, but I'd give them a water dish. They will likely web it up. The trick is you can go in and basically the webbing, once they web the snot out of the thing, the webbing is waterproof. So you can spray some water on the webbing or pour some water in the webbing. And a lot of times you'll see them come out and drink from that. They eat, they're one of the best hunters and eaters you can get as far as just being ferocious. They will charge and sprint across the enclosure and grab food. So you can feed them. I used to feed mine like two or three times a week at that point. The growth rate, depending on the temperature, can be, I would call mine medium. Mine took a little while to get up there. You know, it was a good. I think four or five years to mine hit maturity, my females hit maturity, but I've heard other people that are keeping them in uh, drier, warmer climates will get better growth rate from them. So just keep in mind that is that will be a factor into it, but they do well at room temperature. They're very, very sturdy animals. You're not going to, there's not one that I really worry about as far as the husbandry is concerned. You're going to have to really work if you want to kill them. And once they start to put on some size and they hit that juvenile, you know, two inches or so. Uh, a good enclosure size, one of the medium-sized critter keepers or even a smaller critter keeper. I would go probably medium to give it a little bit of room. But the critter keepers are nice because they offer good ventilation. They offer some height so they can set up abo- you know, semi-aboreally. And when you set up the enclosures, again, I mentioned this earlier, but be sure to give them plenty of anchor points. This is a species I always throw in the cork bark hide. It's just everybody gets one, and they'll sometimes hide underneath it. Usually not. Usually what they'll do is if you put a bunch of fake plants in there, they will immediately start webbing up all the plants. They use them as anchor points, create, like I said, that big hammock, so the entire enclosure eventually will be blanketed in white. And the other reason you want to give them a slightly larger enclosure than you may normally give a spider is the fact that you don't want to move them too much because that white is amazing. Like, there's nothing worse. I just had to rehouse one of mine, the one I moved into the bioactive enclosure, and she had been in that enclosure for several years, and the amount of webbing in there was just astounding. I felt terrible having to, you know, uproot her from that. So giving them a little more space, at least then if you put her into like, say, a medium critter keeper, you've got a couple years in there at least where they can web up and have plenty of room. And then you can move it into something five to 10 gallon size. Five gallon would probably work. They're not a huge spider, but like five, six inches or so more lithe and leggy than, you know, a big bulky spider. But again, it comes down to giving them room to make the, that webbing that is just, that's what they're known for. And that's what, the, one of the greatest parts about them is not only are they a bright, vivid, vividly colored spider, but they do all that webbing. So you've always got that nice white background to photograph them against. So something to keep in mind, the adults, again, are amazing eaters, amazing hunters. They can be skittish. My two literally, it's, it's bizarre. They're definitely, they're from the same sack. I'm pretty positive of that. And basically, they molted into adults who were like four inches or so, and both of them were as calm as can be. I was doing videos with them, I was getting right up close to them, and then they both molted again, and then that was when I, if I bumped the enclosure, they were off. They were scuttling around, they were kicking hairs, they both molted again after that, and they're back to being fairly calm overall. So keep in mind, and this goes with any tr- uh, species of tarantula, don't get accustomed to the docile behavior, always be you know, always be on guard, always be prepared because they can change. This has been noted for many, many years. Tarantulas can change their dispositions. It seems like when they molt something, whatever it may be, something happens during that molt process and you get a spider that you'll sometimes have ones that people describe they're absolutely nuts. They molted and they're totally fine after that. 
the opposite. Conversely, you get spiders that are really docile. People would hold them. They molt. Next thing you know it, they're throwing up the threat posture. They're kicking hair. So something to keep in mind. But if you are somebody out there that's looking at getting these, I do think they can be amazing beginner species. I do think you need to be aware of the fact that they are quicker than most of the quote unquote beginner species. I do think that you need to be aware that when they get older, that they can kick hairs and they will kick hairs. That's it could be part of it. But if you get them in a small size, Give them extra room. You'll reduce some of these behaviors. And if you're aware of it, you shouldn't have a problem. Are they quicker than some of the other ones? Yes, they are. But that's why I do sometimes encourage people, if you're looking at it and you're getting, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, man, I actually had a nightmare last night thinking about moving these, then maybe it's time to hold off because there's a difference between being respectful and being, you know, cautious and being scared. Scared brings mistakes. When people freak out and they get scared, that's when spiders get slammed to the floor by accident. That's when they get their legs caught in things when they're moving them. That's when, you know, the mistakes happen. So you want to make sure that there's a difference between being a little amped up when you're thinking about, you know, adrenaline can go a little bit, but if you're actually scared, then maybe hold off, try something a little bit easier, get your husbandry down. That's my biggest thing. I tell people that the one thing I do think most people should do before getting into advanced or faster spiders is to make sure their husbandry is on point that they know how to clean an enclosure, they know how to do rehousings. That's the big one. Have some rehousings under your belt, have a method you use, whatever it may be, and be comfortable in that before you start getting into these. But to sum this one up, yes, I think GBBs can be, the, the C. kineopubicins can be excellent beginner species for many, many people. I do think there'll be some that will be intimidated by the speed, but again, starting with the sling kind of helps helps make that a little easier to tackle. It's going to take you a few years until you have one of the big, you know, beautiful adult specimens on your hand. And again, I can't be the one to tell you you that's a very personal decision when to get into faster species. I get a lot of people that are like, here's what I keep, am I ready for an old world? And I honestly can't answer. I never do. I'm sure people, you know, get my emails back and go, huh? You never really answered my question because I can't. It's kind of an internal thing. Do you think you're ready? Do you feel confident in your rehousings? Do you feel like you could work with this spider if it starts bolting and not freak out and end up with it up your arm or running around or having to tell a spouse that, hey, honey, the, the new baboon species I got is lost somewhere here? Those are things you need to think of ahead of time. If those are causing you panic or a, a ridiculous amount of anxiety and concern, then no, you're probably not. If you're like, hey, you know what? I've had some things go wrong with my rehousings. I feel comfortable with them. I feel comfortable with these spiders. It makes me feel a little bit nervous, but not scared, then you probably do okay. And I think that goes with the GBB. So I think for some people, a lot of people, they like to start with something a little easier first. That's fine. But for some, they could jump right in with that GBB and have no problem at all. And that's a personal decision. But hopefully this podcast helps lay some of that out and some of the things to think about when getting one and some of the tricks you can use to make sure that yours doesn't turn out to be super skittish or defensive. And again, they are a gorgeous spider. And I will tell you one of the ones that when you have people over, the people that look at you funny when you go oh, I have tarantulas and they immediately just picture a big brown spider you show them a GBB for the first time you, you should get a, a photo of their face because they can't believe a spider that beautiful exists that's one of the ones where people go oh it's a spider it's disgusting but god is it pretty so it's a great one to have in your collection easily one of my favorite species of all times and one I think everybody should have in their collection although I have heard some people out there that don't like them which is just weird to me I don't get it there's so much to like but to each their own so yep they can be good beginner species I will keep them on my beginner species list just be aware of what you're in for do your research and understand some of those tricks like giving them the deeper containers the deeper homes to make sure that their webbing doesn't peel up every time you open the enclosure and you should have no problem with them at all. 
All right, so one last note before we get going. I've had a lot of people, I've been posting up some pictures lately because I had a lot of molts during the course of the winter and I have a lot of mature females. And I feel kind of bad because I've had a lot of people contacting me about breeding loans and breeding some of my stuff. And and the honest to God truth is I would love to do more breeding. I do not have the time at this moment. And I had, I'm only saying this because I had one person in particular that got rather offended when I turned down the breeding loan and I, I, I'll admit I got a little upset because I'm like, for crying out loud, I, I spend all my free time working with spiders, doing these podcasts, doing the videos, answering emails and stuff. Like I, I can't do everything. And breeding takes time. It takes time to sit the male and female together and sit there. You know, it's, it's a lot of just staring at them, getting ready to jump in, which with my attention span can be difficult at times. It is my busy time of the year. As I've mentioned before, I'm a special education teacher. I am doing a ton of meetings when I come back from my, I am on my spring break starting this week. Thank Lord. But when I come back, I have like six meetings right off the bat, paperwork. And I know people have a hard time understanding that, but that takes a lot of time and energy out of me. And when I get home, sometimes I just feed a couple spiders and I sit down, relax, play some video games, answer a couple emails, and just, I, I do need time to unwind. And that's just not in the cards right now. The other thing is, I will throw out there, I don't do a lot of breeding loans. I like to purchase the mail, so that way if something goes wrong... The person has been compensated for it. I'm not into the, I, I haven't done a 50 50 yet. The closest I got to it, somebody said they just wanted a handful of slings. I ended up sending her a lot of slings because I felt like it, she was fantastic to work with and it was fine. But I don't particularly like the 50 50 loan thing. I'd rather just buy the thing outright. So I have a lot of people going, Hey, I'll send you your, you know, mine and we can do it. I'm probably not going to do it unless it's a species I really feel like I personally need to have. And again, I'm just explaining, would I love to have more time to breed? Yes. Will I do more breeding in the future? Absolutely. But I can't do everything. And then the other thing is I'm not going to do a reverse breeding loan. I am a collect. I have the collector gene in me. So I would freak if something were missing from my collection. I have a hard time. Like I used to have a movie collection. People would ask to borrow a DVD and I would stare at that empty spot in the DVD container. Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get that movie back where it belongs. Hopefully some people out there will understand this. But as far as sending one of my females off, that's not going to happen. And and, and it's nothing personal. It's not that I don't I, – one guy is like, oh, you can trust me. It's, it's not that I don't trust you. These are my animals. These are my pets. I wouldn't send my dogs off. I wouldn't – you know, I want them here. It feels weird. It would feel weird to me to have something missing and then having to send it out. I wouldn't want anything to happen to it, quite frankly, because a lot of the females I have had since slings – so I won't be doing reverse breeding loads. And again, I don't mean this to be negative. I just want to be out there and truthful with the fact that I just don't have the time for breeding projects right now. I've had to turn a couple down and I felt bad. And then I had one person that really tried to guilt trip me like, well, you know, we really need these more in the hobby. And you told us we need to breed more. So you really, it's your responsibility. Well, we can either have me doing podcasts and movies or just quit the pod, I mean, podcast and YouTube videos or I can quit and do some breeding. I can't do both right now. The summer is coming up. I usually will pick one or two projects because then I have the extra time to take care of things and to do the breeding. But right now it's just not in the card. So again, just want to make that clear. It's not, if you ask, feel free to ask and that's fine. But please understand if I say that I'm just not doing breeding projects right now, that's it. I legitimately don't have the time to do it. Uh, the other thing is I have not been on Facebook much at all. I do kind of go on every once in a while, flip on my phone and see what the messages or the uh, comments were on the videos and stuff. But I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook and lately there's, I'm, I belong to a bunch of different forums I'm probably going to pull myself out of because the amount of negativity and bickering that's going on in some of these places with people, you know, it's just been, I, I don't need the negativity in my life. And so generally when I pick up 
my phone and flick through it. I'll see some fun, you know, tarantula pictures, and then I'll inevitably see my name drawn into something, some argument, or and I, I just don't need it right now. And unfortunately, again, with time being very precious right now, trying to find the time to get everything done that I want to get done this time of year. It's, it, I have to cut certain things out. And right now it's been kind of Facebook has been on the back burner. I do peek in and I apologize because I really want to be more active, especially on my page, but I can only do so much. And there just isn't enough time in the day right now to do everything. And again, when I pull it up and there's a bunch of negative stuff on there, it's like, I right, forget, it. I really don't need this. I had to be kind of convinced to do a Facebook page years ago by a buddy of mine. And I'm glad I did. And I do plan on when the summer comes around, I have more time. That's when I tend to get more active with it. I would ideally love to post more stuff on it. Like I never post my YouTube videos on it anymore because that just means there's two places I have to comment where people, and it comes down to this, literally like I'll throw a video up and there'll be a bunch of people commenting on Facebook about the video that I posted up. But then I also got to go over and answer the YouTube comments. And it just, it's like double dipping for me. So again, I'm not... I just try to be very transparent in what's going on with me as far as the social media aspect because I don't want people to think I'm actively ignoring people. I'm not. It's just this time of the year gets very, very overwhelming for me and I just don't have the time I would like to have to deal with all this stuff. You know, Billy and I joke it would be so nice someday to, you know, I don't know, start our own tarantula vending business or something or do something with tarantulas where I could have more time to do this stuff, but it's just not in the cards right now. But I am on spring break coming up, so I will be doing some catching up on the Facebook front. I was working on my Patreon page reluctantly. I Again, I think I set it up like a year and a half ago and I went back and I'm probably going to redo my video that I did for it. My goal is to get a bunch of stuff up there. So for people that actually put money toward it, you know, get something for it because I do feel, I, I still feel icky about the whole thing, but I've had several more people ask. I've had people remind me the fact that I did promise I would do one this year. And if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm at a point now where I'd love to do more with these bioactive enclosures and start really redoing some of my stuff and getting into more advanced techniques and some of the plants and stuff like that. And it's pricey. So it's getting to the point where at least this time I would have something I could do with it. I didn't want to just put things out there and be like, go give me your money. I don't want money for this. This isn't a job to me. It's something I do for fun. And I've made it very clear that at the point this starts to feel like a chore or a job, I will be out. That'll be it. So not there yet. Don't panic, but just something to keep in mind. So I have been working on the Patreon page. I will be hopefully getting that up very soon. We'll see. What'll probably happen is I'll get it all ready to go and, and chicken out again. I will be catching up on the Facebook. So again, I apologize for people. I've got to get back to so many people on Facebook. I feel absolutely terrible about it. It's starting to get to like, cause a complex because I know I got to do it, but it seems like every time I go to do it, I get a bunch of messages on YouTube, a bunch of emails, Anyway, just trying to juggle all this. So not saying this to be negative, not saying that I'm going to, you know, have a meltdown and run away or something, nothing like that, but just trying to let people know why I sometimes have a hard time getting back to them on Facebook and whatnot. It's just, I can only do so much. And, um, I guess that about sums it up. So hopefully that wasn't a bad ending to this, but again, just kind of a housekeeping, letting people know where I'm at. April break this week. Expect to hear more from me on Facebook. I'll get on, throw a post, make fun of myself for not getting back to people. Um, get back, to, you know, some of the messages I have. And then summer break will be coming up. I believe it starts this year, June 13th. And those of you that have followed me for a long time know I get, I tend to get much more active during the summer months. That's when my videos pick up because I'm just sitting around all day making videos, playing with spiders, basically. So, Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Sorry, this one droned on a bit at the end. I'm considering I may go back and trim this. We'll see. If you're listening to this, I obviously didn't trim it. I don't like to end on a bad note. And again, I'm not mad, not being negative. Just want people to understand because I've gotten a couple, you know, messages like, hey, Tom, where the heck are you? Well, very busy. So 
Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you want, check out my videos on YouTube. Uh, I've got some cool stuff up there. I thank you so much for those of you who are listening to this podcast, by the way. Uh, the other day, I passed 800 listeners, which doesn't sound like a heck of a lot. But considering what I started off as and considering the growth I'm getting with it, I couldn't be more pleased. I honestly didn't think I was going to find an audience with this podcast at all. And it's just been growing exponentially with each and every passing week, which has been great. Makes it totally worth it. I love the format. I'm just me sitting here Saturday morning talking to myself. It's fantastic. And my dog's, you know, yawning and farting in the background. So thanks so much for all the listen. I really do appreciate it. And we will catch you all next time.